Welcome to the Propane Business Podcast. I'm Johnny. And I'm Yusuf. We set up and built propanefitness.com into the profitable semi-automated system that it is today, which allowed us to quit our corporate jobs and coach online full-time. More importantly, we were able to do this without a huge online audience or being glued to social media every day. We're now ready to share everything from the failures we've made to the systems that now consistently generate hundreds of thousands in revenue. We help personal trainers, coaches, and gym owners do the same by avoiding the mistakes we've made and the best practices going forward. Subscribe to this podcast to learn what we're doing and what we've done to build and scale propanefitness.com. We'll be teaching you how to generate a steady flow of online clients, win at Facebook ads, automate your coaching systems, and to achieve financial independence. I don't really like doing like, welcome to the podcast. This is like, we'll just sort of transition into it if that's okay. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Cool. Do you want to, do you want to explain a bit? Do you, is there anything you want to introduce or anything you want to promote or? No, not really. If it comes up, it comes up. If not, I'm not that fast really. So I'm, I'm you have a website these days or not? Uh, I have a domain name, but there's, there's nothing on it. <laughs> So I was looking through your um, the autoresponder download. And I was oh yeah, yeah. On you. And, um, I, the I don't know whether you know this, but like the link link's broken. Yeah, yeah. It's like Mike'sWebsite.com. I was like, oh cool, he's got a website. <laughs> Clicked on it and it was like invalid URL. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm. I basically just tell people to go onto Facebook, follow me for like two weeks. If you like the pithiness and sarcasm, cool, send me a message and I'll add you onto the list. If not, nice. wow. it's okay. a low level of commitment to, uh, to getting to know me. Okay, so, so before someone opts in, they have to follow you for two weeks and then... Pretty much, well, I'm happy to add people to my list, but I just, yeah, I'd, I will at some point get a proper landing page set up and an opt-in and everything, but I just can't be bothered at the moment if I'm honest. Right. So if we just briefly contrast that with... How many figures were there in the last course launch you did? Um, so in the last ten months, Smith, it's done about one hundred and eighty-five grand, I think. <laughs> so that's that's no landing page. So there's a, there's a webinar, right? But no, yeah, webinar that I hosted. I got my mate to set it up. Who um, he runs? A, he's got a fitness and fat loss company, so he just set it all up on their server and just did like a custom URL for it. Um, but yeah, I don't own any of that. Like he created it all for me in his Kajabi account. Um, and yeah, I just got people from email list organically, not done any paid ads for it, no website. So yeah. It's impressive, man. That is impressive. It's not necessarily the way I would teach someone to do that, but mm. I guess it shows that you can do it without worrying about tech stuff as well. Yeah. Even though it's, the, it's not the best way to do it, but it works okay for me being a complete technophobe. So but when, I think when you contrast that to like someone who's got all the chatbots and all the fan, like the, the most complicated setup, they're running like three stages of retargeting ads and they make like 80 quid a month. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my, my costs for all of that were including his fee for setting up like three and a half grand for everything. So yeah, from a purely sort of profit perspective, that's another reason for keeping it simple, I guess. Yeah. 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 Well, that's kind of, I think that's, one of the reasons why we wanted to get you on because I, th- I think the 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 business industry or the like the, the business i never really know what to call it because it's not the fitness industry technically it's this like weird kind of creepy outer circle of people kind of like trying to prey on people in the fitness industry but business coaches in the fitness world i think are all for complexity i think there's so much complexity in what people advise and people lose track of like just be a helpful person 
and post interesting things for a long time. And eventually, sort of, as you said at the start of this call, like people will start paying attention, right? Yeah, I kind of get that because in coffee, I'll talk about, oh, you need a unique mechanism and you need some sort of system. And so, yeah, if your system is, well, you need like a, a Facebook ad to an opt-in to an email sequence to a, you know, follow up with chatbots, you do retargeting. Yeah, that's mm. that's quite a cool system. I, I like that. I'm not against anyone doing it, but I guess you've got a way up. Am I a technical person who likes doing that stuff or am I the kind of person who is massively prone to overthinking and procrastinating. And actually, if I reach a technical stumbling block that I'm, I'm struggling to get over, which I would personally myself, that would then put me off from launching the thing. And yeah. I'm a fan of just getting stuff out there, seeing how it does, making it good and then refining it and to make it better rather than trying to get everything perfect. And then you're like, oh shit, I need to go back and do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. And then you end up just massively confusing yourself i guess or you put in loads of effort and then you realize actually the concept behind what you're promoting was broken in the first place so yeah. I, I generally favor uh who's the guy i can't remember who coined it um but the was it michael masterson the ready fire aim approach yeah, like yeah. Get, it, get it out there then refine like i think that's a pretty good approach to take with most stuff really yeah well i i think probably the biggest error we see is someone spent six months building their program building all like building all of the back-end complexity to it and then it's like one post on facebook i'm proud to announce my thing is finally launched and then nothing um i think that's the that's taking ready fire aim as like get ready aim for a bit then get ready again then aim for a bit more then maybe i'll fire in six months time it's like the complete opposite um but i think that it's just it probably just comes from nerves and stuff, right? Like it's new, as you say, there's, there's a lot of perceived complexity around running an online business. And then if you're used to being in a, in a gym all the time and suddenly you've got to do like a, what's a lead magnet, what's an autoresponder, how do I build a website? So I, I do get that. But I think that the, there is this fine balance, as you say, between diving into the complexities of it and just being very consistent with the basic things. Exactly the same as, as fitness advice. That's what's so interesting about it is, People, everyone wants a supplement when it's actually just calories and progressive overload, right? Yeah, and I think there's a lot to be said for just doing the work and to doing the really simple stuff as in, you know, what does my audience want? How can I give it to them in the simplest way that provides a result without overcomplicating the process? Yeah. But then at the same time, there's we all like to have hope about stuff. It's quite nice to sit there and, and dream of, oh, in a year's time, I'll be making, you know, 10 grand a month completely automated and I'll be making money while I sleep and stuff. And actually when you start putting stuff in, in place to get that, you get closer to the point where it's like, well, is this going to happen or is this not? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people prefer to spend time in that stage of thinking, Oh, all I need to do is get, you know, this next bit done Mm -hmm. and they can still hope about it without having to actually go out there and and risk not happening. And everyone thinks I've only got one chance to make this happen. And and if I blow that chance, it's gone forever. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, no, that's not the case. You can put something out there and if it doesn't go as you want, it's really not the end of the world. But people like to, almost they like to have that complicated process because it puts them off actually having to get it out there and see the results of it. And so I think that a huge number of people I speak to actually suffer from that, you know, staying in the stage of perpetual hope and trying to make things more complicated because they don't want to actually face reality. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, I think getting over that i don't really know a way like if someone is is prone to being stuck in the 
I can't wait to do this kind of this time next year or this in six months time. It is difficult to get someone out of that frame of mind because that in and of itself is kind of a nice place to be, right? Having this like anticipation, this, oh, well, it'll be different in a year or in a month or whatever. So I certainly think that, you know, there's a, I was talking to a guy about this the other day and he was saying the problem with him is that he's perfectly okay being just comfortable. He said, you know, I've, I've lived abroad for six months where I just slept on someone's floor and ate rice and beans every day. And I didn't mind that. I really liked it. So he said, in one sense, it's nice because I can make, you know, a um, couple of grand a month now and work two hours a day and I'm perfectly happy. And there's a part of me that really wants more, but at the same time, it doesn't want it enough to get out of my comfort zone and to actually do something about it. And I thought, yeah, I think a lot of people are like that, especially link it to the PT thing. If you are, let's say, doing, you know, two, three grand a month on the gym floor and, you know, you've kind of got a bit of freedom and you're not having to do a daily commute, you're not having to wear a suit to work, you don't really have a boss. You know, most people, if you said to them when they get into fitness, would you like that? They'll go, yeah, I'd really like that. When you get there, obviously, you realize there's a lot more to it and you can have this online business, you can have automated stuff and you can earn a lot more and maybe work less. But it's like, it's a difficult place to be in because a couple of years ago, give them their current scenario and they'd have bitten your hand off for it. So it's like, do you want it enough to, to kind of do the work and take the risks to, to get to that, I, I don't like the phrase, but get to that next level, so to speak? <laughs> And that exists in online as well, right? Like I'm sure you've had the, the same thing where you set this like huge goal that you think seems unachievable and then you get it and you're like, oh, what do I do now? And then you yeah. think, oh, I should set the next one, I suppose. And then- Yeah, I think I'm, I do like having goals myself, but I've kind of not given up on goals, but focusing a lot more on the process and enjoying stuff that happens because even for me doing some like launches last year that went way better than I thought they ever would kind of for a day and a half you're really 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 psyched about it and then you do pretty much think well what's next and there's almost a feeling of emptiness that you have to enjoy that process as well uh, and that sounds a bit woo woo but I do think from personal experience I'd have I'd have dismissed that massively like two years ago but now I realize actually yeah the you know the the tangible results whether it's you know money free time clients whatever that's all cool but at the same time, if you're not actually enjoying what you're doing, then it's kind of, you just feel a bit deflated every time you achieve something really, which is, um, yeah, it's a bit crap to be honest. So yeah. actually enjoying the process and and working to get somewhere where you enjoy every single day, that for me is quite a big thing as well. Yeah. I think there's a, have you heard of Tim Urban before? Uh, I know of him, yeah. Yeah. He, has, he was on the Tim Ferriss podcast, like this was a while ago. And he spoke about happiness being like, having a mint Tuesday, like having the best Tuesday. And it, it, like for me, that kind of frame is, again, very, very rarely discussed. But really, if you just consistently have a great Monday, a great Tuesday, a great Wednesday, and you don't have a goal necessarily or something that you're an outcome that you're shooting for, probably your quality of life is going to be pretty hard to match. Maybe yeah. hard to improve on that, really. Yeah, I'd say so massively. And again, it's something that a few years ago when I was getting into marketing stuff, I'd have said you're talking nonsense with that. Like that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's all about big launches and it's all about uh, cash in the bank and, you know, it's almost hitting PBs on on sales and stuff. And then now, yeah, I get that all the time where you sometimes have to bring yourself back and think actually it's like, you know, 
11 o'clock on a Thursday morning. I've done all my work for the week and now I'm only doing stuff that I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. If I have a day now where I have to actually go and do something, like I, I did a consulting day in London uh, last month, I think, and actually I, I really enjoyed it. But at the same time, it was so much more stressful than a normal day because I had to get a train and I had to be somewhere for, I had to get on the train at like 6.15, I had to be somewhere and then you had to sort of like be on your best behavior, so to speak, because you're meeting someone and you had to be semi-presentable. And yeah, it was, I enjoyed it. But I thought if I had to do this kind of thing every day, that kind of brought me back down to earth a bit. To think, yeah, do you know what? Just kind of dossing in a coffee shop and, and writing some emails. <laughs> is, is that actually you know, not, not a bad place yeah. to be? I had, this, so I had the same thing. Like last year I did a, like a marketing presentation to a law firm in Leeds. And when you get asked to do it, you're like, yeah, definitely. Like, oh, I'd love to do that. And then on the morning, I like, as you say, resented, resented having to wear certain, like different shoes, resented not being able to just walk to a coffee shop, resented the, the stress of it. Like the train was delayed. The, the toilet on the train was broken. And I spent the entire journey thinking, like, could I get off here and get to the toilet? And then you think, no, 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 don't, don't be stupid. And you're like, right, I'm just going to do And you just think, what am I doing this for? Like, what? like, I could have just been two Americanos in a Cafe Nero, be nearly finished for the day. But Yeah, I think there's a, a lot to be said for simplicity. And there's a lot to be said for, I suppose this is a slight tangent, but living within your means as well. I think a lot of people massively stretch themselves financially because they think, well, I could, um, you know, let's just say 10k a month and I'd be able to afford this, that and the other. And actually, that's a really stressful position to be in. Um, and then you feel like you have to take on everything and anything. Whereas actually, if you just scaled that back slightly and you thought, right, what do I need to live a, a comfortable life? And let me do that. And I'm going to be able to put X amount away every month. Or even if I have a, a 25% income dip, I know that everything's covered. But for me, that's a, that's a much better place to be in. And you, I think you do better work like that as well, because actually you're less stressed when you're looking for clients, whatever industry you're in, you then don't come across as desperate because you don't need that work. You can, you don't have to compromise on your prices. You have to compromise on how you do things. So yeah, slight tangent, but I think, you know, actually doing that means that you have the much more of a lifestyle that you, you then find enjoyable and just is, is a lot easier to stick to. And even on a, like a, a business perspective, I think people worry about revenue and forget about profit a lot of the time. Like everyone's yeah. on the top line or like, how much sort of pipeline revenue can I generate? How many aggressive sales calls can I do? And then you forget about, well, actually, like when I net off software costs, ad spend, the person I'm outsourcing things to in Indonesia, you know, actually my, like this laptop lifestyle nets me like 500 quid net profit. And you're like, hmm, could work yeah. in Starbucks and get more than that. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, I was speaking to a guy the other day who was bringing in about 18K a month, which I thought sounded great for, for a fitness business. And his costs were like 15. Mm-hmm. It's like, What's the point? Yeah, like three grand a month profit is is really good for most people. If you're, you know, if you're keeping, or sorry, if if your uh, if your revenue is like four k and you're keeping three of it, that's pretty good. If you're earning eighteen k and keeping three, for me, the amount of stress that then generates is in. Well, if I only make fifteen one month, then you're breaking even. Well, do you kind of not pay a member of staff? Do you have to lay someone off? Do you have to, you know, find ways to cut costs? Do you not pay yourself? It's like that's a pretty stressful position to be in. Um, so yeah, everyone talks about making more. You're hundred percent right, but at the end of the day, it's you know, it's what you're putting in your own pocket and and what's giving you enough to live the lifestyle you want that doesn't have lots and lots of stress involved with it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so if we just skirt back to your, or sort of how we met, do you remember our first conversation? Because I do. So if you don't remember it, I'm going to be really upset. <laughs> I remember the first, I remember the first thing we did together, I'm sure was an article on eating out or something. Um, I vaguely remember. Yeah, I've forgotten that. So, I, no, I remember that one. That was that was on your profane fitness site, and I think it might have been a guest post I did. But yep. I'm going to be terrible and say that I don't think I remember the specifics. Of the first <laughs> so that, that that actually is the was the result of the initial conversation. Got so it. I th- I remember. So I was still working as an accountant. I remember I came across your website, and I remember reading it and thinking, like, there's so many references in here to things that I'm also interested in. And I think I emailed you on your contact form and that led to that guest post. And I'd completely forgot. I think you were the first ever guest post we had. I'd completely forgotten about that. Yeah. So that, in my mind anyway, and I don't know how, I don't actually know how long you'd been doing online stuff, but at that time, I think we, it was all very much in an infancy for us and we were doing it as a side thing. But I feel like we, we were in the fitness industry. We started in the online stuff at a similar sort of time. I think we must have done, yeah. I, I certainly remember the, the first thing. It came from my Facebook memories the other day, and I think it would have been 2012, I think. I, I did like, um, I didn't know what it was at the time. Everyone does it now, but like uh, I'm looking for 10 people for free online coaching for a month. <laughs> yeah. I, I may have been the first person to inadvertently put out that sort of post. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was done because I was looking for 10 people to do free online coaching. And I think that was 2012. So yeah, at that time for me, I was um, the same as a lot of uh, people in the fitness industry doing loads and loads of one-on-one hours uh, and wanting a way to go online. See, so, yeah, I'd imagine because you guys were probably about the same way, sort of 2012-ish. I think that must have been it for me. So we, yeah, we came from a totally different industry. So we came from like the business world, um, yeah. but looking to get out of that. And yeah, it was. I think we started technically in 2010, but it was like all over the place, like really bad. Um, and then things only started to get like we because we used exactly the same. Well, I think we got it from John Goodman that like I'm looking for 10 spots. Yeah, yeah. Like four as- asterisks, because otherwise well, no one's going to read it. So four asterisks, and then I'm looking for who are one, two, three, four, boost post, 300 quid, and then <laughs> fingers crossed. Um, so yeah, that it would have been around that time that we started taking things more seriously. Um, but I think something that I was thinking about this this morning before we chat, and I was thinking, what was it that, because um, people ask us a lot, how did you get the initial kind of traction? How did you get the initial exposure to the to to you and to your business? And how did you have something interesting to say? Because at the time we weren't promoting, and I'm, I don't know whether you were in the first instance like promoting flexible dieting and that sort of thing. I was very much in the the carb backloading, like off the deep end with that stuff when we first started. Um, but I feel like the commonality, probably for both of us, was was writing and articles and. Um, writing on Facebook and writing on our website. Yeah, so for me, my my thing was always that I wanted to be a fitness writer. So it would have been, I suppose it was 2009 that I started properly in the industry. Um, I worked part-time at health clubs sort of while I was at college, so 2007, 2008, and then went into personal training very start of 2009. And yeah, I was then very much, you know, clean eating, no carbs, sort of you know, the, the typical stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but my thing was I wanted to be a writer. So 
I honestly didn't have much success in a commercial gym as a PT just because I was so nervous and shy and introverted. So I pretty much just spent my entire day sat in the gym reception reading teenage articles. <laughs> and I thought, actually, rather than sitting here being a loser, eating out of Tupperware, pretending he's a personal trainer, it would be much cooler to write for this website. So I used to read people like Nate Green, like Christian Thibodeau, um, Chris Sugar, those kind of people. Yeah. And that was what got me into writing. And then I don't know what the overlap was, but I started doing some paid writing. I used to go on, I think it was Elance was a website, Odesk. I don't know if they're still going, but basically like, you know, Upwork, that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I used to just pick up fitness and health writing gigs uh, and then started writing for Livestrong.com. So I wrote for them for quite a bit. And that was probably at some point, like I, said, I don't know the exact crossover time, but that was when I got into the online stuff. And for me, writing was um, not that it came naturally, but because I've been doing it for other people, that was the medium that I tended to choose. So it was longer form blogs. It was posting on Facebook. I, I dabbled with some audio and video stuff, but just never really stuck with it, to be honest. So yeah, much like yourselves, I think writing was just the medium that tended to work for me so yeah 2012 I think it was that I'd set up my site um yeah and just kind of again without really having any kind of plan I think I got my first mentor in 2013 but went for the first year just pretty much writing whatever came to my head (laughs) and some people seemed to think it was okay so I just picked up clients fairly organically really Mm. and so did you when you first started was it just one-on-one online coaching like over email, adjusting yeah. basis, that sort of thing. To be fair, that was all I ever did. So I got out of it in 2016. I think I finished up completely with, with actual coaching people. But yeah, again, because I, the thing for me was I actually hired Lane Norton in probably 2011, maybe 2010. I remember. But yeah, probably about a year before I started myself because I thought, well, one, I sort of wanted to get lean. So I thought, well, I hired a coach but also because I thought I want to do what this guy does so let me hire it and see how he does it and I suppose it worked well for me because his approach then was all about simplicity so there weren't really any spreadsheets it was you know you got your macros emailed to you via email you got your training plan in um, either a excel sheet or a word document or whatever and it was pretty much just update me with an email once a week and I'll get back to you with an email and that was it. So I know that a lot of people do it in a far more complex manner, but because that was how I'd learned and because I'd never been sort of, um, you know, a technical type person, that was how I coached clients. So I was sort of aware that you could do group online coaching and I was aware that there were loads of different bits of software and people that people started to use. But yeah, for me, not that there's anything bad about that, but, I just always favoured simplicity. So yeah, I spent probably four years, pretty much one-on-one clients, an email a week, maybe a couple, Word and Excel. And that was kind of it, really. Mm. So we did a very similar thing with, we worked with Eric Helms, so we hired him, same sort of thought process, like, I'd like to do this. What's the, well, I'm going to see what how someone else is doing it. Eric was very similar, but there was a lot more Excel involved, um, which I think sat well with me because that's, that was my job at the time, basically just living on Excel. So, but even, I think we, even now, like even though the models we use are like group coaching, there's, there's a lot more complexity with the systems. Like the thing that's stayed is like, it's still mainly spreadsheets. It's still a weekly check-in. It's still, and I think like those fundamental things 
when everyone's uploading everything into trainerize or pc distinction or anything like that you forget that actually like it's quite hard to beat just like microsoft or google you know like yeah. <laughs> companies that do this at scale with really clever bits of software but yeah i think the simplicity is again something that's missed a lot in online coaching or as people move into online coaching yeah both in terms of marketing and deliverables like we were talking about earlier there are definitely some people who either coaches who work better when they have different bits of software they have an app and stuff Mm -hmm. and there are clients who probably respond better to that as well if they're more mathematically minded or they're very driven by data and that kind of stuff but it's one of those things people tend to stress about a lot more than they maybe need to and relating back to what you said about costs, it's like, well, you know, Word and Excel and, and a Gmail account are free mm-hmm. and that costs money, which is not a bad thing. But honestly, I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever met someone who signed up to someone because they had their own branded app. It's exactly. like if there's, if all other things are exactly the same and it comes down to the decision of does this person have a branded app or not, you would probably go for the person who has a branded app, but it's never been a thing that, you know, someone's gone, oh, let me pay this person £150 a month to coach me because they have a branded app. It's like, if you're that worried about it, you're probably looking at the wrong things, in my opinion. We, we The story I tell people for this is we... we need to need a, oh, that was weird. <laughs> is that me or you? Uh, I don't know. Uh, oh no, that was me. I do have my email open. Apologies. Uh, sorry, just checking. It's not like the system crashing. Um, we we teed up a developer to build us an app. So the view was like, right, we're using like ClickFunnels and sort of the standard things. We explored, well, how can we deliver this information in an easier way? Oh, right. Well, we need an app. So we'd kind of teed up this guy who was going to build it for us, and we got our initial clients to some of our initial clients to test it, and they hated it. So I was just like, oh, you know, thank God for that, because that saved us. Like, I mean, I don't even know, you know, these things, I think you start off with a cost estimation in mind, and it's often way, way beyond that. But we've never had anyone sign up for coaching and then go, there's no app, I'm off. Like, it's yeah. just that I think a lot of the time, a client wants simplicity as well. They want, well, how, what do I eat and when? And what do I do in the gym and when? Not yeah. how do I log in and then tick this off and check this and download that so yeah i think i i feel like we've as a business we've come full circle i feel like you've maybe stayed simple a lot or you, you've got preference simplicity even just hearing about your launch and how that went sounds like you preference simplicity the entire time and stayed that way which is awesome i think it's been out of necessity just because right. yeah i i'm very aware of my own limitations um, <laughs> and so that's to be fair, that's part of the, it's a small reason, but it is one of the reasons why I got out of doing online coaching stuff was because I could see other people were getting more advanced with how they delivered things, other coaches, I mean. Yeah. And for me, it was a case of, well, I probably need to start doing a bit more of this to keep up. Do I really want to? And I didn't particularly. So that was a reason why, um, among other things, but it was kind of why I decided to, to cut ties with industry when I did but yeah it's it's one of those things I'm the same I've tell a lot I had one person who asked for a refund on my course because there was no printed materials with it right. which is a bit of a weird one because I said in the sales material there is nothing printed that gets sent to you but right. um but yeah same thing I had um actually a copy client who's in the fitness industry and he spent over twenty thousand dollars having a, a really fancy website and back-end system built 
And basically, he gave his clients the option of, do you want to use this? And almost all of them said no. <laughs> so he canned it after spending spending 20K on it. So yeah, it's one of those things. Yeah, I with what I do now, I'll speak to people sometimes and it's still amazing how much they are willing to spend on stuff that doesn't really make any sort of difference to their pot. It possibly makes a difference to the back end of their business, but in terms of the front end, no one gives a crap about what sort of systems you use really. Um, but again, whether it's, you know, thinking they need it, whether it's a form of procrastination, whether it's a form of even possibly slightly egotistical thinking, well, if I have this really cool backend system that I've gone and spent 10 grand on, it's going to make me a better person, a better coach. It could yep. be any of those, but yeah, I've, I've deliberately started simplicity just because I know that otherwise it's, it's all too much for me. <laughs> well, that's a, at least it sort of keeps you in that, keeps you in that zone. But we, yeah. we are both examples of it. Eric Helms, clearly lane, like I've worked with Bryce Lewis before. So many coaches I've worked with are like Excel and maybe like Slack or something for communication rather than email. But you can handle 20, 30, 50 clients without having the app. Like I'd far rather be email and um, like even just email and thinking, oh my God, I'm too busy. Because that's a, that's a problem you can fix rather than I'm 20 grand in the hole, but I don't have a client or, you know, and I'm not saying that's maybe an extreme example, but somewhere in the middle is probably the best place to go. Yeah. And like I touched on earlier, I forget logins as well. (laughs) I don't trust myself not to get locked out of my own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We were, I I shared something in a podcast that we did the other day where I um, sent a client money over PayPal rather than have them pay us. So like we just built this new coaching program that's 40 pounds a month. And uh, I was busy at the time. So I was like, I was actually drunk, to be honest. I was in a bar and drunk and I got this inquiry and I was like, yes, get in. And I just sent this guy 40 quid. On a, set up a monthly recurring payment to him of 40 quid. And he got in touch and said, Johnny, the the money you paid me, is that is it not supposed to be? Like, it's fine if, if that's how you want to do it, but is it not supposed to be? <laughs> I think I remember, I, I may have misremembered this, but I think I remember seeing something like someone taking the mick out of you for something PayPal related. Is that right? More than likely. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's my, my terrible technology that there's no secret about it whatsoever. Um, I can't remember specifically what that would have been. But... Something like you'd, you'd launch something and there was a PayPal link. I can't remember. It's just when you were saying I've kept, always kept things simple, it, something triggered. Of a, yeah, no, that, that almost certainly would have happened. So for, a, for quite a while, for much longer than it should have been, I, I basically had it where if someone downloaded an ebook that I'd done, a paid ebook, I actually I just couldn't work out how to figure out the payment system. So I just used to constantly check my emails to look if a sale had come in and then really quickly send it to them, <laughs> which looking back on it is actually really unethical. But that was a perfect example of like, make sure something works. And when people start buying it regularly, then I realized, okay, I probably need to actually get someone to set this up for me. (laughs) But again, no one seemed to mind. I don't think I had, I might have had a few refund requests and a couple of angry emails, but honestly, from sort of selling probably a hundred like that, I think kind of probably 97 people when I sent it through, like, cool, I just, I 
yeah, never mind. Like, if your system was down, that's fine. I was like, no, it's just me being awful. But <laughs> it's <laughs> I, I just I love stories like that because it's um, I, I, it's so refreshing to hear that like someone who succeeded was still doing something like that. Because yeah. just I think a nice reminder for people of like I don't it doesn't need to be super complicated for me to start. Yeah, and like I had someone the other day reach out to me because they wanted me to be on their podcast, and I was like, yeah, cool, up for it. Like, let's get a day in April. This is amazing, Mike. You're not bad. No, no, no. <laughs> My memory's not great, but I would remember if it was a story about the person I was speaking to. Um, but this guy went, um, yeah, do you want to put me in touch with your VA? I was like, you're basically speaking to my VA at the moment. And he said, uh, okay, so can you send me your calendar link? And I was like, yeah, I use a paper and pen diary. And he just went, lol. I replied, no, I'm generally serious. I use a paper and pen diary. <laughs> Didn't hear anything back from him. Really? Oh, <laughs> my God. Right, okay. unbelievable unbelievable Mm. so maybe i should use calendly but at the same time i'm just not that fast so again we we, we've just done a podcast just me and yusuf about like the biggest mistakes we've ever made so we always talk about this idea of there being an error rate with everything so like if you're doing something manually eventually you'll forget so people realize that and think right well i'm going to use some kind of automation so we we went through this phase where we added in loads of loads of automation, loads of tools. And we had this time when an email got sent out that was totally blank to like, I think it was about 15,000 people with just the subject line kiss and then nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) And you like, you sort of sat there and you see the email and you're like, what's what's this? And then you realize like, Oh my God, this has failed 15,000 times and there's nothing I can do about it. Like gone. So there's an argument to say that if like the simpler you are and the simpler your business is, you protect yourself from like massive explosions happening. Like it's one tiny thing might go wrong, but it, you're not going to like accidentally leak something or like nothing's going to break on at a massive rate overnight or anything like that. So no, I think that's a big thing. And I'm not, I'm not sort of tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist, you know, like the technology is out to get us, but yeah. I do think there's a small part of my brain that kind of buys into that and thinks that technology does always conspire against me. So mm-hmm. the more things I can do myself, the more things I have control over. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, that's just for me, that's, that's another thing that I know that at least it's easier to own your own mistakes when you do that. Yeah. Whereas if you're always thinking, well, is this going to go wrong? Is that going to go wrong? I mean, for me, sort of scheduling an email is about as, as much as I trust technology to do something right. So. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I've I've had things go wrong with even that. So it's uh, there is nothing more nauseating than an an email sending an error. I think, like, yeah, I had one once where I don't know how it happened, but every letter was on a separate line, so it was literally <laughs> just like a line of letters going down. And someone's like, "Is Mike is Mike taking the piss here? Like, is this a, is this a copywriting thing?" But I'm just I, no. I generally had three people email me and said what technique is this really <laughs> yeah. I was like, no technique whatsoever I don't, I don't even know how it happened because it showed up fine for me but it's a good lesson that actually you do that or another thing is like if you don't send an email and you usually send an email if you've got a good relationship with your audience mm-hmm. they'll email you and say is everything okay yeah or they'll email you and tell you and go oh, by the way this is happening with your stuff at the moment mm-hmm. and so that for me sort of brings it around again to if you've got a good relationship with your audience, you can get away with a lot of stuff. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. And they'll they'll tolerate the odd like subject line that's kissed with a blank email and things like. Yeah, John. yeah. You know, it's it's the kind of thing where if someone if you're friends with someone, they wouldn't get angry about stuff like that. And there's a difference between friends and subscribers, customers, followers, yeah. all that kind of stuff. But it should also kind of be like you're talking to a friend to a degree when you put anything out. And so I think if you have that relationship where there is the trust, well, the, the no like and trust aspect, mm-hmm. people generally don't mind because actually if they give you some money and it doesn't come through, they know, okay, it's not that I'm being scammed. It is that something has gone wrong. So let me email the person. They're going to sort it out. And actually, if you have that, it buys you a, a lot of leeway in terms of mistakes, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. And I think you seem to not take yourself too seriously online, which I think I is think a big thing. Yeah. yeah. Is yeah. that you want to have, I suppose they refer to it as the expert frame and you want to be knowledgeable and kind of lead people to a degree. But at the same time, I think you can't take too much stuff that seriously. And there's a time and a place for taking stuff seriously. But if you can be a bit self-deprecating, um, Generally, I think the better you are at taking the piss out of yourself, the more people tend to warm to you. And yeah. actually, you can do that and still be pretty successful and still have the you know the positioning you want to. A lot of people take themselves much too seriously, and then you either just look like an ass, or it just all comes back to to bite you in the end. Because actually, if you take a really hard line on stuff, and then you're you're called out for it, um, or someone generally disproves what you're saying it's then quite difficult to backtrack on that. Yeah. And I think like if you if you take yourself super seriously and then something goes a bit wrong, you are just opening yourself up for public criticism. Yeah. And it's also about who you want to appeal to as well. I don't want clients or customers necessarily who are super serious. I want people who want to do well, take personal responsibility, have accountability for what they do, who enjoy writing or building a business or copy or whatever. But I don't want someone who would be the type of person to turn up in a networking event with a handful of business cards and a 30-second elevator bit prepared. So for me, I want to do what I can to put off those people. And so if actually... can't think what I've done recently, but you know, putting out a sarcastic post that takes the piss out of myself. Yeah, those people probably think, well, that guy's not serious, which actually is a good thing. Yeah, well, so like I, I know from your sort of just content and public public appearance that like you admit that you're pretty crap with technology and you make a bit of a deal of it, and I think like that's that's an alluring thing in in working with someone because you're like, well, they not they don't take themselves too seriously. They're not super sensitive. They're not going to get offended easily. Just make for me anyway. It makes someone easier to easy to speak to, easy to work with. Yeah, then, I'd say so. And my, adding caveats to stuff as well. I mean, I I went and did a photo shoot about a year ago, and had the typical businessy influencer style photos, which I actually really liked. I think some of them look good and they work well. But I will often publicly refer to them as my wanky photos, just because I think if you take yourself too seriously with stuff like that you can get into the territory of, you know, posting a black and white shot of you looking out into the distance with an inspirational quote. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the, the typical sort of fitness industry, arms folded, staring down the camera. Yeah. Um, and people start to think like, what, what the hell is this person doing? So, yeah. you know, be, being serious and being professional, but at the same time, not taking yourself like overly seriously with it. Mm. I think that it's something that I, when I left like the corporate world really struggled with. So I used to like, Stop, tell you stuff you know don't swear in anything 
um, he would upload like, have you seen, have you seen the video of him doing like Olympic lifting in the train station? Yes. Yeah. 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 Like he, he uploaded that. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like that's not even remotely related to fitness, but then that progressively became like our most engaged content. And he went through a phase where like, I know you've seen this video. So he, he would, he would say like, Johnny, E-Y-E-S, what does that spell? And I was like, A-S, A-A's, A's. And, and then he just like publicly posted it. It's on YouTube. It's, it's like our, one of, in our top 10 YouTube videos. It so, is my personal top five videos I've ever seen, if I'm honest. <laughs> I still probably watch it about once every six months. <laughs> yeah, just to make you smile. So like, I, yeah, I think I initially found this resistance to that. Like I need, this is a serious business needs to look professional. So then Yusuf just took the piss out of me for me and then put it online for me. And then you realize like, oh, actually that tends to get quite a good reaction. So it, yeah, it's just personality. And that's always the stuff that when someone has followed us for a while, it's always those, those things that they remember or those things that they mention. It's never like a serious article you wrote about insulin or anything like that. Like it's the stupid stuff. Yeah. I was going to say the exact same thing in that it, I don't often post about copywriting really. I one in five posts might be something about here's how to write good copy, which is an awful title for a post about copy, but it's something kind of useful. But that stuff I tend to keep more for. I've got a, a free group. I'll put more stuff like that in there because people have opted in to join the group because they're kind of interested in that stuff. But for everything more personal. Yeah, I'll put about launches and about different stuff that's working and that kind of thing. But it's much more lifestyle related. It's much more just jokey stuff to a degree, which some people would argue is not in any way funny, which is, is fine. I'm not, I don't think I'm actually that funny, but it's, it's very much more lifestyle personality. Again, some people would argue I don't have a personality, but it's that kind of stuff where I just post random things that I find amusing. And that tends to, again, it depends what you're going for. If you've got an offer that is super serious, how to scale your business to nine figures and it's a $100,000 or £100,000 offer, yeah, you probably don't want to post about, you know, how you spent the morning, I don't know, chasing the stranger's cat around the, around the road or whatever. But if you're actually trying to work with people who are like yourself, there's there's definitely a case for having the the much less serious, more jokey, more lifestyle and personality stuff. And with that as well, you'll find that then when you do put out something more serious, it gets a much bigger reaction. Actually, people really, really take that in. So anytime that uh, I did an email, uh, what, probably about three months ago, where a few years ago I had counselling for a bit because I was in a bad place. And that email hit home more than anything else I've ever written. And I think it's because it was almost that pattern interrupt to then go into something quite serious. So yeah, the, the more you can do that, the more it then makes your serious stuff when you really want people to, to listen and take a message, they actually do that even more because it's not necessarily what they'd normally expect from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I think in the fitness world and in the business world, there's a lack of, the the humorous stuff in my view like there's a lack of people just i don't i don't take myself seriously at all and like here i am and if you want to work with me brilliant like we we shared i found this really funny it isn't that funny so if you don't laugh i apologize but i saw this post on instagram yesterday of someone with a like a jumanji box and the, the thing said so at the time of this at the time of this podcast like coronavirus is a huge thing 
in the UK. And it just said, whoever started playing Jumanji at the start of 2020, like really needs to finish it because this is getting out of hand. The idea that like, <laughs> you know, so I, I shared that on our Instagram and that got us an inquiry to work with us. <laughs> what is going on? Like, <laughs> that's, that's me like sat at night, like <laughs> posting something on Instagram and people just see, like they see it. They think that's funny too. Like, I think that's funny. Joining you, so I think that's funny. I'd like to work with these guys. It's weird how these things work. But anyway, so I did actually have some some proper questions for you, Mike. I'm, we haven't even really got onto the second one yet. But I think to, to, it would be good to talk about copywriting because I think, as I mentioned when we first started speaking, I think it's seen as people kind of understand Facebook ads. They kind of understand like digital marketing and funnels and all that sort of stuff. And then people say, oh, well, maybe you need to hire a copywriter. And it's like, whoa, like... <laughs> what, is that? what is that like they're going to say special words that are going to make it convert better or like so what how would you how would you sort of define copywriting and where would you say it's most applicable or best used for someone in the online fitness world so for me copywriting is it's often referred to as direct response because it's something that's it's writing designed to elicit a direct response. So most of the time that will be a sale because that's obviously the ultimate goal of most businesses. But that direct response can also be getting someone to opt in for something, getting someone to comment on something, or it can just be putting across an idea and changing someone's belief on something or exerting kind of your influence, persuasion ideas, whatever on people. So it's writing that's done to, to persuade, to motivate, and to get someone to take action, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of where it fits in, everything you write is copy to a degree because everything you write should be trying to get someone to take action on something. Yep. Whether it's Facebook post, email, whether you're doing a video, um, you know, anything like that is kind of copy to a degree. For me, it's... A lot gets made of the the sort of technical aspect of it, and like you say, there's a there's a belief that it's hiring someone or, or learning how to say certain words to get someone to take action. And there's also a thing which I think comes much more from the old school American marketing idea that actually it's when you write copy, it automatically sounds like a sales pitch. And there's definitely a degree of that stuff. It's the the typical sales letters you get that start with dear friend or like from the desk of so-and-so yeah. or um, the American advertorials. Like I was in New York last week and um, the adverts over there are just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all that kind of stuff um, where it's very, very cheesy. And that, to be honest, that still works in some markets. That works in some American markets and that works particularly for like the the boomer generation in america which is why you see it in a lot of health uh health commercial supplement adverts that kind of thing but bring it back round for me copy is using your voice so when you write a piece of copy it should still sound like you not like you've got some kind of machine to write a sales script for you mm-hmm. but it's all about how can you get across emotion so talking about pain points dreams and desires all that kind of stuff how you can talk about their objections. So what objections might people have to working with you and how can you bust those? How can you logically overcome those objections in a, in a conversational format and just driving them closer to the outcome you want them to take, which is probably going to be signing up for you. The big thing for me is realizing that A, not everyone is going to sign up with you. You know, Everyone who reads your stuff, actually if 5% of people buy from you, that's probably a pretty amazing result. It's probably going to be more like... 1%, half a percent of your audience. 
and the other thing is realizing that so many people think with copy it's and we we spoke about this briefly earlier but you get one shot at something and actually it doesn't have to be that every single post results in a sale i prefer to look at it and i didn't come up with this analogy but one of the guys i train with used this analogy all the time was that copywriting is kind of like golf in that it's very 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 rare that you'll hit a hole in one but what you're trying to do is get the ball closer to the hole every single time and there's definitely the the possibility to make this sound like quite a rude analogy if i talk about getting stuff in holes but your goal is not (laughs) it's not necessarily to get someone from cold audience to a sale i.e in the hole in one shot Mm-hmm. What you're trying to do is get get the ball closer to the hole to kind of in or get it to the hole in as few shots as possible. So yeah. are you getting better at posts over time so that it might go from you the average person takes twenty different contacts to, to become a customer to fifteen and then to ten. So uh, that's kind of a much more abstract way than most people define it, I think. But for me it's much more about positioning, it's much more about tackling objections, shifting people's beliefs getting them to know, like, and trust you in a way that's conversational and actually sounds like you. Yeah. Yeah. I think the the, I can't remember who it was who said this, said that like sales is a case of like trust and time. So mm-hmm. like you, we, we, all, when we're teaching our, like the, the personal trainers we help, we talk about this idea that if you have a hundred people who sort of enter your world, you might get, there'll be, there'll be probably 50 who would never consider working with you or may never work with anyone. There'll be half who probably will work with someone at some point, but they just need the right environment, the right. I think that's a um, Dean Jackson thing, like this idea of there are chunks of your audience that would make a decision, maybe not with you, but with someone. But probably you're looking at like one, maybe to 5% who would do what everyone is kind of wanting, which is opt in, consume something and buy straight away. And that's the, the audience that everyone focuses on is that like slither of the audience that, is ready to do something and people neglect the 95% who probably, you know, might just need to be on your email list for six months. Yeah. We get it all the time where someone will say, I've been on your list for a year and a half and it was just, I just found today, I just clicked the link, you know, like today yeah. was the right time. But so many people ignore that, that, that aspect of marketing, I suppose. There are certainly what I'd term as silent observers who sit there for ages and it's either a cumulative effect of things that make them eventually buy from you or it's that one thing that you say that everything else they kind of like and then there's one thing that they love and they opt in. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's a lot of it's about kind of kicking over the fence sitters, so to speak. So if you've got, you know, a couple of gardens, then you say you've got 100 people, 50 might be in one garden and... They're never leaving that garden because they just, they're perfectly happy there and they don't care about coming into your garden. There's probably like, I'd say, three people who've already barged their way through the gate into your garden because they just buy anything that's put in front of them because they like spending money. Yeah. And then sort of the rest of them are sitting on the fence. And your job with good copy is to go around with a stick and push them over into your garden, I suppose. To, <laughs> yeah, to put some more imagery into it. So, the better you are at hitting people over a fence with sticks, the, the better your copy is. Really. Each person might need a different stick. That's the challenge. Yeah. You've got to yeah. have a yeah. different shape. Some people probably, yeah, I can say some people, sort of just a, a twig will be enough. Other people, you probably want a big, meaty baseball bat and a crack across the skull. And that's copywriting. That's yeah, please. <laughs> so it sounds just like- get a collection of sticks and bats. Big bag of sticks, find those people <laughs> on the fence and just spend spend an afternoon there um but it, it sounds like from your 
business model that you maybe aren't ever too focused on like the people who are just ready to go. Because I think a lot of digital marketing advice, if you if you like scroll down Facebook, pick the first business coach and work with them, like buy whatever it is they have to sell. Usually from my experience, the focus is on the sort of the sales funnel, the initial contact that you have with someone, getting cold audiences to work with you. It seems like, and maybe I've got this wrong, but it seems like your approach is more about um, build your email list, build, build an audience, give value to that audience that is kind of strategically positioned to handle objections, trigger some emotions, get people to take some actions. And then when maybe have strategic launches throughout the year, but when they're ready to work with you, they'll kind of let you know. Is that more of what you do? Yeah, I certainly think you can play the long game with this. And obviously that's not always doable because there are some people who need cash now and that's that's perfectly fine. I think that's when having a, a really solid funnel comes into place where you might have a webinar that gets people to book a call with you or a webinar that is a straight sale or you might have a, a tripwire kind of offer where someone opts in and you say, you know, you've opted into this, would you like this at a discount or would you like to join our our free five-day challenge and then they're, they're upsold to at the end. I definitely think there's a time and place for that kind of stuff. Um, but I do think as well, if you can play the long game, that always works out better in the long run. I suppose that's kind of obvious. The long game is better in the long yeah. run, but hopefully that makes sense. Like if you can, if you can bide your time, uh, and I don't necessarily like using myself as an example, because I, I also do a lot of stuff wrong and a lot of stuff has just happened because I've been doing it for so long. But um the last few launches that i've done i've had people i've released i've, I've sold via a webinar basically so it's a link to a webinar to my list and it's been an hour and a half webinar with a 10 minute pitch at the end i've had people just kind of not bother to watch the webinar and literally just signed up for the program without watching it yeah. going well apology for so long this must be good and that's that's an anomaly and that's not something i think you would ever particularly deliberately aim for but if you've done, as you said earlier, the whole trust and time thing, you'll get people who are just happy to give you money because they'll go, well, you've entertained me you know, three times a week, four times a week for the last year. <clears throat> I've got a lot of stuff from you. I felt like I should probably give back. And there's a lot to be said for that law of reciprocity where if you can just do good stuff over time, it's not only that, but like we said with the whole um, having people trust you thing, you can get away with a lot if you do that. So you can have a very suboptimal sales funnel if you just put out good stuff that actually helps people. So in an ideal world, you have both. You have a a really slick sales funnel that I don't necessarily buy into one way of doing things. I don't think it has to be um, like an opt-in or a webinar, just whatever works best for you. And you have a way where people can, if they want to work with you soon, they can do that. But at the same time, if if you're happy kind of ticking by and you've got other sources of income or you've got, you know, you've been doing this long enough that you've got consistent income from that. Actually just being consistent and putting good stuff out over time is, is, you know, it's very under underrated as a way of building a business. Yeah, definitely. I think the way, like our sort of the model we teach really is just if you're, if you're someone who's at zero, like you've got no list, you've got no audience. It does come back to this question of like, well, maybe I don't want to spend the next two years kind of organically building this. So, usually the, the fastest way to build an email list is to create some kind of marketing system that allows you to at least break even with a Facebook ad, with an Instagram ad, with YouTube ads. And then people who are breaking, helping you break even, they're the ones who are the, the people who are already in your garden and you can't even get to leave. Like even if you say, this is my garden, they're still there. 
right? And then you spend the next year or two delivering good content to the people on the fence. I think yeah. that's the, the, sort of the combination that we teach really. And I think you can be too, what I see it all the time where I'll opt in for something and people are really pushy. And almost like I would have happily bought from them, but in some cases I'm almost discouraged because of how aggressive some of the tactics can get. I've certainly done that. Um, even with some copywriters who I really like, I'm on very few email lists now purely because of that, purely because you either get that or it will be a last day of a launch and they send nine different emails, which <laughs> I'm, I've done that before. Um, yeah. I've done five before. And I'm not necessarily against a lot of scarcity in the launch. I don't think it's needed, but it's been one of those things where it's a fine line where you can start to feel like, is this person just trying to use me as an ATM? which doesn't sit massively well with me. But what you said about if you can break even in the front end, that I think is something everyone should be thinking about because actually what too many people try and do is profit on the front end, which is doable, but actually it's pretty difficult or it can be very difficult. Mm. And that's when having that good funnel um, plus decent kind of long-term communication comes into play. The number of people who are always looking to optimize the front end of their funnel to make a profit when actually what they need to be doing is focusing on building a relationship with people who've gone through that initial bit and not bought. Yeah. It's like, it's so much easier and so much more profitable and sustainable to actually focus more on consistent communication for people who've not bought yet, but yeah. are still interested than it is to think, how can I get my cost per click? Up? How can I get my click through rate up? How can I you know, optimize this, <laughs> this lead magnet? It's just, again, it's kind of personal preference because I'm not a technical person. I'd rather just work on communication and messaging. Mm. But I also think you know, people get pissed off when they're not making a profit at the front end. And it's like, if you're breaking even, you're actually doing pretty well because yeah. You, know, yeah. you should then be yeah, making more money, much more money on the back end of that. Especially with a, like a fitness business that's, that's usually like subscription-based recurring revenue. If you break yeah. even on sale one, like you're, you're pretty hard to catch in terms of a like a competition perspective. So I, I always think if you, again, I think the, the standard at the moment is how do we profit on the front end? But that tends to mean you end up having to make these decisions that just feel a bit kind of, I don't know, not, not best for the, for the, for the lead or the customer. Like suddenly the offer becomes super high ticket for a fitness business suddenly the sales call tactics super aggressive suddenly it's loads of scarcity loads and yes you might convert the one person who emotionally is a bit in a bad place at the moment who was probably on the fence and with the right coercion would buy but you might also alienate the other person who like just wanted to see what you're about so yeah i think we we have this perspective of be willing to break even on that transaction and be a good person about it be realistic about like what is it that people are going to buy and then everyone who's opted in who didn't buy on day one, if you do the right things, will probably buy when, when it's right for them. So it's a tough balance, though. Tough to get yeah, right. I'd agree with that 100%. And I think part of this is personal preference, but yeah. I would just always rather sell ethically, I guess, and always rather... I don't want to do something that I look back on it in a year's time and think that was a bit shady. Yeah. Uh, and I'm all for, if you've got something that's worth a lot of money, charge a lot of money for it. Like no one should be ashamed of, of doing something high ticket at all. Um, and there are definitely offers that can change people's lives and are worthy of that, that high ticket fee without a doubt. But at the same time, 
there's a, a big trend now, and it seems particularly in fitness, to just whack a zero on the end of your prices. And what would have been, you know, charge 150 pounds a month for a, for a coaching program, all of a sudden they're charging like four and a half K for a three month program where you think, is that really worth it? Um, yeah. And like you say, it's, um, was it you guys I was listening to before saying about did some sales stuff and actually like a, a sales roll call with someone and yeah. make himself really, really hard to sell to it. Yeah. <laughs> the Yusuf's Mr. Like does not get bought in by anything sensational at all yeah. i mean like banker turned doctor you know bit bit of a weird guy that like likes to see the evidence of things and this guy was was on this sort of mock sales call with yusuf saying like you know well like using all his like nlp tactics and yusuf just went no that's that's too expensive for me and the guy was like what do you mean by that i was like well the the income that i create on a monthly basis means that i have the following cash your price point is too much. <laughs> He's like, Yusuf's just getting progressively more and more kind of insulting to this guy. So if a number is too too large, then that means that. <laughs> so yeah, like we, we kind of took a step into that world and you just like come out and like sticky floor and you're like, oh God, awful. Like, And part of it, I think you're probably the same. We try and do things how we think we would buy something, if that makes sense. Like I... I, I, I speak, talk to people about this all the time. Like how many times have you opted into a webinar from someone you've never heard of before and bought like a one nine nine seven offer with very little communication or proof or anything from that person? Like there are some people who will do that, but also those people probably are not the best clients you could ever ask for. Like, cause they're not, they're not buying it because they love you and they love your business and they love your message. They're buying it because they're in some pain and they kind of want to solve it or they're, they're desperate to be an online coach or desperate to lose weight or whatever that, that might be. So. Yeah. My, my thing has always been that my worst type of customer would be the type of person who goes and does that. But yeah. a month before they'd done a, a Forex offer a month before they bought into a, you know, a real estate offer a month before that they bought into a Facebook ads course. It's mm-hmm. like, it's cool to have that money, but a, they're probably going to refund B if, they're very unlikely to put the work in. And so actually if they talk to you about your program, they're going to put that on your program. In fact, they didn't get results. Yeah. Yeah. And also that's just, it's not a, it's not, a, it's not necessarily a pleasant thing to have someone buy something and just not ever use it. Cause mm-hmm. you know, yes, making an income to, to support you is more important than kind of what people or the results people get from that. But actually the more I've worked with people and the more I've sold courses and stuff, the more you realize actually, the stuff that really makes business exciting is seeing people actually use stuff and get results. And, and yeah, that can't be underestimated. And I know that for me, the probably the first guy I signed up for proper mentoring, actually we did have a call and it wasn't really a sales call. He just more talked to me for an hour and a half about my business and was genuinely interested. And at the end told me his fees and I said, cool, I'm happy to do this. Let's, let's sign up. And he actually said, no, wait 24 hours because now you're going to be excited and you're going to want to buy something and you might get cold feet Mm -hmm. in 24 hours. If you still want to do this, phone me back and we'll get you signed up. And for me, that was, um, that was the exact way I'd want to be sold to. And so I don't really do sales calls, but it's that sort of messaging that I then try and put across because I think 
it just feels like the right way to do things. And it, it builds a business that actually is a lot less stress and you're working with people who do genuinely want to work with you. Not the whole, you know, you go to an event and it's the, the run to the back of the room to sign up because this super amazing program that was, you know, 9997 is now just, you know, 197 for the first 10 attendees. And it's just, yeah, yeah. it's, in a way, I admire it massively because the guys who can do that are exceptionally clever at what they do. But I would never want to do that myself. Mm, yeah, but I completely agree. I think the we when we do use calls for applications to our program, the the people we've learned from are always like take take payment over the phone. Otherwise, people never buy. But I, my thing is like, well, I would buy, but I wouldn't pay over the phone. Mm-hmm. So something's not right there. So I, if we do the same thing. It's like, look, go and speak to like the other decision makers in your business or in your life, go and have a day and think about it. And I thought like, I'm going to do, I'm taking this stance and doing this and I'm probably going to kill my conversion rate with it, but it's higher than this, than the conversion rate that people, the, the guy teaching the course suggests. So yeah. I just think, I just think there's a bit, there's a lot to be said for just kind of trying to be a nice person when it comes to things on the internet. Yeah. Which is I mean, I do think it can work very well for business. Um, and I just think it's not a case that uh, you get a lot of people who are the very, you know, anti-capitalism people who do the whole, how can you sleep at night doing that? It's like, well, they probably yeah. sleep fine, let's be honest. But, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, being able to think, actually, I did, a, I did a good job there. And I do think that, there's a difference between US and UK markets as well, without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, US people, I, honestly, I would like a happy medium. I think UK people, we tend to be massively overthink things. We're way too skeptical. Americans probably need to think more about what they buy into. Yeah. And if we could be in the middle, that would be great. But yeah, I do think if you're selling mostly to a UK audience, then the whole you know, big scarcity angle, that kind of stuff doesn't work so well anyway especially for, for an online fitness coach, like it's a service-based business for the most part. So do you really want your first interaction with someone being, well, you made them cry on a phone call and sold them something that they're having to like get a loan to pay for? Like, is that really the best? Like you wouldn't do that offline. You wouldn't make a cry, you'd get a, a client cry in the gym. So there's no reason to do it on the internet. But So how, I wanted to briefly ask you about, you work for clients on demand? Yes, correct. So how, I mean, I'm guessing you are, you are the copywriter for that business or you're one of the, the many copywriters for them. So I mostly actually do coaching. So I help with okay. clients putting together their Facebook ads, their webinars, their emails, landing pages, that kind of stuff. Because it's, it's really interesting. So I didn't know you worked for them. Um, I actually saw that you worked for them because I was on their website because okay. I really like their marketing. So yeah, I wanted to ask you about it. Is I, to me, they are probably is it Russ Russ Rafino? Yeah, yeah. He's probably one of the only people that I've ever come across who's like, it's a it's a Facebook ad, I think to a webinar, then to a call, and he kind of like teaches the model that he's using. Yeah. Um, and I went in to watch the webinar, like super super skeptical about it, and came off the back like that was pretty convincing. Like, <laughs> like damn it, that was you know like. <laughs> You know, or we're very close to saying to Yusuf, like, I think we should do this. It looks pretty good. And we, we haven't done anything, like I haven't worked with him, but the there seems to be I don't know whether you picked that business because that kind of felt right for you, but they speaking about the difference between American and UK marketing, they they're US based, I think. Yes, yeah, California. It feels just very 
like a very cleverly put together system. They have a lot of results. They have a lot of, is there anything you've learned from, from being part of that or any, like, do you advocate that system and what they do? I mean, in terms of learning, yeah, it's probably been the, the one thing that's been most effective for me developing as a copywriter. And that's purely because of time spent doing stuff. So when on average you're critiquing probably 15 Facebook ads a week, maybe five or six webinars, probably a dozen landing pages. It's like anything, you know, like strength training, just obviously taking out the idea of overtraining, mm-hmm. but the more you do it, the more proficient you're going to get at skill. So for me personally, yeah, that's been a huge help. The thing that I think really makes a difference with them, well, there, there's a few things. I mean, the first thing is that it is high ticket stuff. And I know we've talked about how, that's often not always applicable, but there's a big focus on actually crafting a program that is worthy of a high ticket fee. And yeah. that I think is what's missing with a lot of people because you get those coaches who will say, look, just, just whack your prices up and because you can. Mm. Whereas with COD, it's very much, you no, know, your program needs to, to provide an amazing outcome. So we, you know, people come in and say, oh, you know, uh, I teach people how to make ornaments out of bamboo we'll probably say, sorry, but that's not really a high ticket offer. Whereas if it's how I teach, you know, struggling couples how to save their marriage and reignite the, the intimacy and passion, it's like, cool. Is that worth $5,000? Absolutely. That's definitely worth a high ticket offer. So the messaging and the, the outcome behind the program is massive. Mm-hmm. And sort of how unique an offer is. So if someone comes in and says, oh, I teach people how to lose weight, it's like, well, there are a lot of people doing that. And if you say to someone, I teach people how to lose weight, are they going to go to you or are they going to buy a $27 ebook or a, you know, join a, join a local gym? So having something that actually provides that amazing outcome and is a bit unique, a lot of people neglect that because they think it's all about the, the stuff that people see about the Facebook ad, about the webinar. And that's obviously vital. But if the, the, the idea behind the program or the course isn't there to begin with, then it's never going to work. The, I suppose the other things as well are um, belief shifting is a massive part of it. So that's kind of like myth busting, I guess. But I talk about this a lot when, when I talk about writing copy is that actually if someone is on your email list or following you on social media or they've opted in for something, you don't need to necessarily sell them on the outcome because they know they want that outcome. <clears throat> What's stopping them from buying is more having an objection. So they might think, oh, I can't do this. Or if it's weight loss, they might think, well, I've got bad genetics or I'd love to do this, but I don't want to have to eat a thousand calories a day. So the more objection handling, more belief shifting you can get across where you show them, look, here's, here's what people think you need to do. Here's why that's wrong. Here's what you need to do instead. And it's using our method, which is you know, very, very different, very unique, um, that's huge in terms of, of generating sales and generating interest. And then, as you said, well, you named his system. It's the Facebook ad to a landing page, to a webinar, to um, a breakthrough call, and then a sale. It's making it so you've got a system that's unique to you, but that seems very, very, very simple. So obviously, there are some other moving parts in that. But when you hear, all I need to do is a Facebook ad, a landing page, a 45-minute webinar, and then get someone a call, that comes across as a it's different because you're not talking about organic posting you're not talking about using uh linkedin about cold email about creating videos all that kind of stuff but you can also envisage it in your own um coaching practice and see how it works so 
for me, like when I'm teaching people about becoming a copywriter, I'll say, well, you need to be able to find the right clients and I can show you where to find the right clients. You need people who've got money and it's actually quite easy to find them. You need five core skills, which are Facebook ads, landing pages, um, sales letters, emails, and website copy. And you need the right price and psychology. So you really just need three steps and that's it. Anytime you can put your process into a very simple format like that, people like it because it seems unique to you and it shows them that actually all the stuff they thought they had to do to get the result they want, they probably don't need that. Mm. Yeah. And that's kind of the unique mechanism aspect of marketing that I think you see it like really misconstrued in fitness sometimes, you know, like the three, the three things that doctors don't want you to know about fat loss and you're like, come on, man. Like, (laughs) have you asked Yusuf what those three things are yet? (laughs) He shared something of like uh, a, a doctor in the UK saying, um, I got really annoyed um, with med school because they never covered the three things that doctors don't want me to know. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. But um, Mike, this has been awesome. So I don't, I don't want to take up any more of your time apart from to ask you a few key questions. Go for it. You probably are aware of what they might be like. I've got an evening, but yeah. <laughs> so the first one is relevant to what's going on now so would you rather have to deal with a virus or an alien invasion oh alien invasion would be much more interesting yeah no no doubts about that whatsoever there's also the feeling of like like bring it on then you know what I yeah mean? i think there's a tiny part of me again that sort of wants there to be life out there so while 98 percent of me would be absolutely terrified two percent maybe going yep i knew it yeah yeah i think like what's so annoying about a virus is it feels like there's nothing you can do about it like a really pathetic way of human kind of to die out from it it's like oh basically a version of the flu is wiped yeah. you out like, exactly. if, actually, if we get wiped out i want people with yeah it was kind of from thousands of light years away to to come and do it couldn't agree more and like battening up the windows like putting like knives on the end of brooms and that sort of thing. Like I'm fully up for that. I think that would be brilliant. But like you do think, well, at what point, because this is, this is the interesting thing about running an online business, right? At what point do you think ceasing operation? Cause you don't have a shop to shut. You don't have like it. You can do it from your home, but there'll be a day when the aliens are here, when you're like, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore, but I don't know what that trigger event would be. No, you definitely have to schedule some posts in advance just in case you can get back in time. Apparently, um, no, I'm not going to say. Am I going to say? Yeah, yes, I am. Yes, I am. It's very insensitive, this. But it won't offend me, but... Well, it'll it, it offend someone. So I know someone who works for a digital, a digital um, marketing agency who does like global e-commerce and cost per click in Italy has like halved because so many people are just at home on their phones kind of scrolling through social media so i think if alien invasion happens maybe there's an opportunity so there's to be fair it would probably be worth putting together some sort of sales funnel for it (laughs) Um, i mean the survival niche is massive in america everyone buys their survival knives and survival kits and stuff i mean there's definitely scope to to do that for an alien invasion so anyone who's got the skills to do that might be worth yeah at least thinking about it the one key weakness of aliens revealed. And then, yeah, 
Right, I'm up for it. Right, well, let's, if that happens, Mike, let's partner. We'll make that happen. We'll it, yeah, yeah. I'll make the I'll make the spears, and you can you can write. <laughs> cool. So, next question: Would you rather your only mode of transportation be a donkey or a giraffe? I'll probably take donkey because I think at least I've never seen anyone riding a giraffe, so I don't know what the consequences would be. <laughs> I'd imagine they could the idea of there being consequences. <laughs> you mean like high, like low bridges and that sort of thing yeah yeah, yeah i think of that i mean yeah no i would go for donkey because at least you know what you're going to get with that <laughs> great answer keeping it simple again i think i'd have to go giraffe just because the i think you can't deny you just get so much exposure wouldn't you yeah i, I suppose the one thing that might change my decision would be are you able to climb for a giraffe's neck? Because that would be quite useful if you're riding that. And then I, don't, I like just think, yeah, just in case you had to get to a high place, for example, like it wouldn't be much use on donkey. But and also, actually, if you uh, you could just go around to a friend's house and sort of climb up the top of the neck and just wave at them through their bedroom window. Which no, I, I'll stick with donkey, but I might need to do a bit more research on it as well. Yeah, what what riding a giraffe would be like? I don't think. Any, I, yeah, I wonder whether anyone does ride giraffes i imagine not but it would seem weird it would it would would you rather only be able to use a fork with no spoon or only be able to use a, f- a spoon with no fork teaspoon or tablespoon <laughs> any spoon you like okay um i'll probably go spoon then i think okay no, that's a, that's the most difficult one. No, the trouble with the fork is like you soups out of the question. I think. Well, you, I was thinking that. I I don't eat a lot of soup, so that's we that. might be saved on that. Um, you could I was thinking cereal. Could you could you then still drink the milk out of the bowl if you had cereal? Yeah. Uh, no, I would go fork. Yeah, I'll go fork. I think yeah, fork. I think fork easier to cut things. Although, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I'll go fork. Difficult one though. That's a mm. tricky one. And then the final one is: Would you rather have to fart loudly every time you have a serious conversation, or burp after every kiss? <laughs> well, the link back to not taking yourself too seriously. Yeah, I think I probably burp after about twenty five percent of kisses now. Anyways. <laughs> And seeing the only person I kiss is my girlfriend, then, um, yeah, she'd just have to put up with that, yeah, I think. So. And you could explain, like, I was speaking to Johnny and he was saying, I have to pick one or the other. Yeah. These aren't actually going to happen, though, are they? No, no. Well, I mean, oh, cool. I, have to say, like, I can't guarantee, but as far as I'm aware, like, I'm not going to do anything that means that cool. any of these no, I think. I mean, I know philosophers have pondered about these questions for centuries, but... <laughs> and yeah, now it's up to us to... to go for uh, one. <laughs> Awesome, Mike. Thanks so much for coming on. If no, you'd like to find the man with no landing page, the man with no website, where do they where do they find him? Uh, you can either send a smoke signal into the sky, or if you go to uh, just look for Mike Samuels on Facebook, add me, and then if you're interested in reading my emails or anything, then just pop me a message. I read Mike's emails. I got one just before we started speaking. You go Tuesday and Friday mornings, regular work. Was it scheduled or not? Uh, it was, yeah, I wrote it on Wednesday afternoon. So technology worked in that instance. Uh, technology. Yeah. Right. Awesome, Mike. Thanks so much. And, uh, see you. See ya. 
Want to learn more about the systems we use to run, build, and scale propanefitness.com? Head over to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast and you can get your hands on our free training that covers the seven steps that we take with every client that we help build their own online business and also the seven steps that we use to successfully build Propane Fitness. We walk through the sales systems, the delivery systems, follow-up, remarketing, how to basically build your program so that it delivers coaching to your clients without you being there 24-7. We really do cover the full thing, right? And if you want to continue even further and potentially work with us, there's a chance to book in a call to have an informal chat with Yusuf or I to just basically see if any of our programs would be a fit to help you get from where you are to where you want to get to. So go to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast today and get access to that. If you'd like to learn just more about Yusuf and I, more about us, what we do, follow us on the various channels, the best place to go is our YouTube channel. We have a load of stuff from fitness content, productivity content, why Yusuf slept on the floor for several months, why he's been having cold showers. There's always stuff on there that's entertaining and hopefully informative. So just go to YouTube, search for Propane Fitness, and you can find out a bit more about us there as well. Speak to you on the next episode.